you are steadfast, immovable. God, that you are good. God, that you are kind. Thank you so much. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. And we just anticipate what you will speak to us. And I believe, God, even as we've been worshiping through song, Lord God, that you've been speaking, that you've been ministering and uplifting and edifying and challenging your church today, Lord, all over the campus. And so we thank you for that, Lord, for those who are tuned in. We're so thankful, Lord. We pray that that would continue and uh, that our openness and availability to you would just be um, even increasingly so as we open up the word and teach through the Bible today, Lord. So thank you for this time. God, we're, we're grateful for our nation, for the freedoms that we enjoy in this nation. We, uh, we want to pray for Canada today. So I was talking with my friend who pastors a church up in Canada. He talked about how the church has been persecuted during these last 18 months and more Canadian pastors have gone to, to prison and to jail uh, than in any other nation in the world. And uh, so we pray and for our neighbors in the north and we pray for blessing upon them God, power to stand firm as believers, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's estimated that 60% of Canadian churches will shut down, and uh, we just pray against that in Jesus' name. We pray against that in Jesus' name, Lord God. We pray for victory. God, what the enemy has intended for evil, God, that you would turn around and use for good, Lord, to strengthen the body of Christ and to strengthen your people, your, your kingdom there in, in, in uh, all over Canada, Lord. So we just pray, God, for strength and provision and blessing and grace, Lord. God, thank you for what you will do there because we're praying, Lord. Strengthen our brothers and sisters in that nation, Lord, we pray. God, strengthen us, Lord, for your word today and for this time today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Thank you, worship team. Thank you very much. Um, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 1 today, uh, but before that, yeah, before that, I wanted to kind of give an update on what happened last week. Um, <clears throat> so last week, um, kind of at the tail end of two weeks of me kind of feeling a little out of sorts at, you know, kind of patchy moments during a two-week period. Two, for two weeks, I was, that would have moments where I was like feeling uh, nauseous, feeling uh, just kind of unstable physically. And, uh, and so I wake up Sunday morning and I'm feeling the same way on Sunday morning last week and I uh, come to church and I'm just praying, Lord, give me grace to do what I do and to preach and to do that sort of thing. And so um, during worship, during first service, I was standing and sitting and standing and sitting because I just felt like I couldn't get my I just couldn't, I just wasn't feeling well. And, uh, and then during the last worship song before I got up to speak, I felt like the Lord just gave me grace to get up and speak, and I felt fine. Um, right after sec first service, I went up to my office because I felt pretty gnarly uh, during that uh, uh, 
during that break in between services, and uh, I was just I was drinking a bunch of water because I thought maybe I'm dehydrated, eating some granola and some uh, food just to try to I thought maybe I need to eat some more, and uh, nothing was really happening, nothing was really helping, and uh, so I came down to just praying that the Lord would do something to give me strength to preach second service and. <clears throat> And I'm just waiting for something to happen like it did first service, but I, I just, I felt like I was going to pass out. I felt like I was just, I was going to throw up. I just felt bad. And uh, so I got up here to preach and I began to pray like I do before I, you know, at the end of the worship. And I just knew I couldn't press through. I just, I, I just couldn't do it. So I called Ron up and Jolene took me to the ER at Marion Hospital and they checked me out and, and uh, we spent a few hours there and they did X, chest x-rays, EKG, they did bl all kinds of blood work, checking everything, and, and um, I was just feeling lousy the whole time I was there, and then it, like in a moment, something washed over me. It was just this, this, this kind of supernatural experience where I just, the doctor walked in, and she said, well, man, you look better. Jolene said, man, your eyes aren't bloodshot anymore, you're looking better, you know, and uh, it was just in a moment... Um, things changed for me physically and uh, I really think it had to do with just the prayers of our church people praying for me uh, during that time I went home that night and I felt you know fine I went to bed early I think and uh, just kind of tried to take care of myself but the next the next morning I woke up feeling totally fine and I, I in my devotions I turned to John chapter 4 and I was reading in John chapter 4 and uh, something really, really resonated with me as I got toward, uh, toward the end um, in John chapter 4, verses 43 and following. And I'll just read the text because I think it's just helpful to kind of maybe explain maybe what happened to me. Um, I think God healed me. And, um, and so I'm just going to read what happened in John chapter 4 because I think it's kind of a similar situation. It says this, at the end of the Two days, <clears throat> Jesus went on to Galilee, and he himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown, yet the, the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a, a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. And Jesus asked him, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Verse 49, the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. So when he said that his, that it was at the very moment that Jesus spoke the word that the boy 
became better, I, that resonated with me um, because it was like a moment where the Lord just kind of washed over me and I felt better. So um, Monday I got up and I felt great, did some landscaping around the yard, cut the lawn, did some weed whacking, played 18 holes of golf, and then went to my, <laughs> went to, with my kids, they took me up to San Luis to uh, uh, top tracer up there to that golf place, and we spent two hours swinging the club up there, and then Wednesday I worked all day, Thursday I worked all day, um, Friday, same deal. <clears throat> um, I feel fine today. <laughs> so I don't know what happened. Uh, thank you. I appreciate your prayers. Um, uh, I don't know what happened. I can't explain, but um, God is, I know this, that God is still a miracle-working God. <laughs> And uh, we cannot deny that he's still at work in our midst. And uh, so I think maybe what happened is um, um, it, it had just been, you know, a busy couple months with this project next door and um, at 102. And so I've uh, been working a lot. And so what I did, because uh, I feel like it was kind of a warning as well that, uh, um, that I needed to kind of back off from that project a little bit. And so what I did is I put somebody else in charge of the project, which was really helpful, somebody who's actually better equipped to handle that project. So, um, and then um, I'm not in the office on Mondays, it's my day off, and uh, so I put someone in charge of all of the Q&A, all the questions and answers on Monday so that I'm not getting bugged on my day off and I can go play golf and not, not be bothered by it. And then I'm, I'm in charge of the project on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and Thursdays is a prep day for me, so I'm home pre, uh, prepping for the sermon on Thursdays, and then I'm back in the saddle on Friday, uh, handling the project and everything else going on. So my attempt to um, kind of give, give that project away a little bit has been helpful this week, and I, I pray that I'm disciplined enough to, um, to continue. The problem is I love the work. This is the problem. I love the work. <laughs> I love, love the work. And uh, I, I, I love being in the fat middle of it all. Um, and so it's very tempting for me to, uh, to be in, involved in it. And I think, um, I think the Lord just said, hey, I got this thing handled. Um, focus on some other things. And uh, let me just carry, do the heavy lifting on this thing. And I think there's a message for us in our lives um, that God wants to do the heavy lifting in our lives. And we're often trying to kind of handle that on our own, in our own strength. And, um, and I guess there's probably some lack of faith involved in that, you know, like I got to be down there, I got to make sure it's going, it's going. But we, and the truth is we've got incredible people involved in the project. On Friday, um, we had the electrician down there working. We had the framer down there working. We had the plumber down there working. We had the fire sprinkler guy down there working. We had the painter down there working. We had, uh, who else? The architect was down there. The electrical engineer was down there. So we had, we've got all of these incredibly gifted and talented people who were involved in the project. And so, um, but the, I, I was telling my mom, because she was asking me about this yesterday. I said, mom, the tr truth is I just love the project. I love this type of work, <laughs> and I, I love doing what we do, so it's hard for me to, to, to kind of throttle back, but that was kind of the warning for me to throttle back, and so I'm throttling back and letting other people handle things, so um, I think maybe I was just kind of worn, worn out, worn down. Somebody said maybe you had low blood sugar. I don't know. 
I eat plenty of sugar, so maybe <laughs> I'm not sure I how the blood sugar can be low because I live on cookies and I love that kind of stuff. But uh, maybe I've had too much. I don't know. But anyway, so all that to say that um, I'm feeling better today and uh, appreciate so much your prayers. Um, continue to pray. Continue to pray for me and for the project and for our elders and staff as we march forward. Um, continue to pray that God just does what he wants to do with our church and, uh, and that we enjoy the fruit of the labor that God has given us to do. Um, let's kind of recap last week a little bit before we uh, get into this week's message. Last week we said, we asked this question, what has God promised through faith in Christ? Um, and we gave, I think, five points. Yeah, five points. What has God promised through faith in Christ? He has promised a new kind of spiritual family. We talked about a new kind of spiritual family, how Paul relates to Timothy as a spiritual father, how Timothy is a spiritual son, and how in Christ we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. God has given us a new kind of spiritual family that we can lean on. And so when I was down and out, I, I knew that the church would be praying, that my spiritual family would be praying. I, I talked with uh, Don Gaynor yesterday, who Don is an 82-year-old man that has been coming to our church with his wife, Carol, and uh, he was in the ER yesterday, and so got a chance to meet with him and pray with him over the phone, and, and, um, and, uh, and he came through, and, and he's doing fine, but um, he's got a whole cluster of people praying through him as he goes through cancer treatments and deals with all, all that kind of stuff. We have people around us as the body of Christ who are designed to be in our lives to support us and to walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death, or through the celebrations of life, all of the ups and downs. So God has given us a new kind of spiritual family. So I would encourage us as the body of Christ to connect with the body of Christ. So connect with the church by being on the prayer chain so that you're aware of what needs arise within the church. Um, by being a part of a small Bible study, a, a small group, a home group, a Bible study on campus, by, by being involved in the life of the church, by really plugging in and watching what God will do to, to enrich your personal life and to strengthen you in your journey as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's promised a new kind of spiritual family, number one. Number two, he has promised grace, mercy, and peace. And uh, we unpacked grace and mercy and peace last week ron i had ron come up and preach for me second service and and uh he uh focused on grace mercy and peace during second service i'm kind of recapping it all because if you were in second service last week uh, you got ron's incredible message that he preached but i wanted to kind of give context to what i preached as well in both services so that we can move forward from that because this week's message is connected to or last week's message was connected is connected to this week's message and so he's promised grace mercy and peace he has promised number three a clear conscience and i think we need to revisit that idea that truth on a regular basis because i think a lot of us labor under this guilty conscience kind of feeling this experience where we're just feeling guilty in our conscience because of maybe some past mistakes or present mistakes and Paul said that he, he is able to proclaim the gospel and live his life with a clear conscience. Um, Paul had plenty of past mistakes, having persecuted the church, made plenty of mistakes, um, and he was able to, yet he was able to function with a clear conscience. God wants to clear your conscience. You are saved by grace through faith, 
Uh, the Bible says when we confess our sins, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He actually casts our, our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. He, he remembers them no more against us. And so we labor under this heavy guilt, this heavy guilt, uh, guilty conscience, and God wants to deliver us from that. Uh, number four, he, he has promised us a life of faith. So he's called us by faith into a relationship with him. And then we live a life of faith. Actually, the Christian life isn't really the Christian life unless we're operating on some level of faith in the, in the arenas of our life, uh, in our relationships, in the things that God has called us to. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit today. He's called us to live our lives as faith people, stepping into the supernatural plans that God has for us. And so I would just ask us to you know, take a personal inventory of our lives again. Where in my life am I not living as a person of faith? Where am I living in my life as a person without faith? Uh, sometimes we're living in areas and arenas of our life without any kind of faith at all, and God wants us to live every arena of our life with a measure of faith in our time, with our time, talent, and treasure. And it's a great life. It's a difficult life, right? I mean, it's a it's a great life, but it's a difficult life also in the sense that when we take steps of faith, you know, it's challenging, it's uh, taxing, it's difficult, but without faith, it's impossible to please God, and he's a re rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So he's promised a life of faith. Um, he's promised power over fear. He's promised power over fear. So all of these things are promised in Christ. This week, we're going to ask this question, what does God expect from your faith in Christ? What does God expect from your faith in Christ? It actually has expectations, things that aren't optional, things that are actually expectations that God has placed upon us. And, um, and they're great expectations. They they call us to a higher level of faith, a higher level of obedience, a higher level of confidence in him when we walk out these things. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 18 is where we'll be this morning. Number one in your notes, what does God expect from your faith in Christ? Number one, God expects bold faith. Do you believe that? <laughs> As we read through the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament, we see that God's people are called to live with bold faith. And so that takes us outside of our comfort zone. Um, I've got a friend of mine who um, ministers in the community, and he's got this bold faith that scares me. I'm like, dude, I will never be like you. <laughs> you make you make me uncomfortable with your boldness. And, uh, and yet I'm not, so I'm not called to be like him, but with operating within the, the context of my gift set, I'm called to be bold. So operating within the context of your gift set, how is God calling you to be bold? Maybe you're bold in prayer. Uh, maybe you're bold in what, the way that you proclaim the truth. Maybe you're bold in the way that you encourage people doing what God has called you to do. Maybe you're bold in that you're able to start uh, and, and lead new ministries and you're bold in doing that. Maybe you're bold in your workplace or with your, your clan, with your kin, and you're bold proclaiming the gospel. Paul talks about boldness uh, to Timothy. He said, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. 
Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. So we can't escape the great commission that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We can't make disciples. We can't lead people to Jesus unless we're uh, telling them about the Lord. We, we have to tell people about the Lord, about the goodness of the Lord, about his kindness, about his grace, about his mercy. And when people are going through hard things, it's easy to, in those moments, kind of shrink back. But it's in those moments when people are going through difficulties that we can say, you know, God's grace is sufficient. God loves you. Can I pray for you? And in just a natural and not forced but organic way, share the gospel with the people that God has placed in your life. Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. I wonder where we get into trouble in this area where God's knocking on our, on our, tapping on our shoulder saying, hey, you need to share with this person. You need to encourage this person with truth. And we shrink back. We need to be bold as Paul was bold and was in prison for his bold faith as the early church was bold and most of the early disciples were martyred for their faith. Never be ashamed to tell others about me and don't be ashamed of me either even though I'm in prison for him with the strength God gives you and this is the key it's the strength that God gives be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news so with the strength that God gives proclaim the truth and then begin to be ready to suffer the consequences of that be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news so be bold and tell others about the Lord. Maybe, maybe you've been a Christian your whole life and you've never shared the gospel. Like you might have said God loves you, but you've never like shared the gospel message with someone. That's going to be the challenge for you to pray so that by before the end of this month, we're July 4th, maybe you say, Lord, by the end of this month, I want to share the gospel with someone. Meaning I want to Tell them about your grace and your mercy. Let them know that your grace is sufficient, that you love them, and that you've got a plan for their lives. And so maybe there's somebody in your life that you've been thinking about sharing with. I, I just had the opportunity to do a memorial service for a guy that I've known since junior high school. And um, he died at the age of 51, a heart failure. And um, he was living, this is the crazy thing, he was living in Maui, going to a harvest church in Maui. His sister, who lives in San Francisco, uh, called Harvest Church in AG, because this is where um, Josh is from. She said, hey, my brother goes, went to the Harvest Church in Maui. I'm wondering if, if you, someone from your Harvest Church, will facilitate the service. Uh, over as we talked i said you know we're not at all connected with the harvest church in maui other than that we're brothers and sisters in the lord she's like that's the craziest thing but and i said by by the way i i knew your brother we've known each other since since judkins since junior high school and um so she was so taken back i knew when she called the office about getting someone to you know to do the service i knew that it, that it was going to draw people from my junior high days, high school days, guys that I've known, guys and gals that I've known for a long, long time. And back in those days, those were my BC days for the most part, my before Christ days. I was a completely different person. So I knew that it was an opportunity to 
proclaim the gospel to people who knew me as a completely different person back in the day. In fact, one of my friends from junior high school, he said, his name's Brian, and he said, he was telling Jolene, hey, he didn't know all this stuff in high school. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I, I didn't know anything in high school. And, uh, uh, you know, 35 years changes things. And so, um, but I, I had the opportunity. You know, you can do a memorial service and never preach the gospel. <laughs> you could just keep it kind of sterile. But I knew that, that was not, going to happen here. I knew that God was calling me to preach the gospel. And so two different people after the service came up and said, you know, I, I don't go to church, but the way that you explain the Bible makes me want to come to your church. Amen. I thought, well, praise God to him be all the glory. But we don't ever experience things like that unless we're bold in our faith. We have to be bold. And I, I'm just saying that's, there's opportunities before us. Maybe you never have a chance to do a memorial service for somebody, but you do have the opportunity to share, to be bold with you, about your faith with your co-workers, neighbors, friends, whoever they may be. So be bold in your readiness to share the gospel and be bold in your readiness to suffer for your faith. So as I was praying, opening up the service, I shared about my friend in Canada. We were texting back and forth last week, and he said, I'll just, I'll just read what he said. He said, Americans have no idea how bad it is up here. More Canadian pastors arrested during COVID than in any other country. They had been locked down for 18 months during COVID, and without any kind of warning, the government said, you can open. Without any kind of warning, not, they didn't say, hey, in three weeks you can open, in a month you can open, in six weeks you can open. They just said overnight, as he tells the story, and maybe, maybe there was a couple days notice, but you can open. Well, what happened during 18 months of churches being shut down is that whole church staffs got laid off. Uh, churches uh, went under. All kinds of stuff happened. And so he's saying, now we scramble because we don't have any plan to reopen. We don't have any staff to reopen. And so now the church in Canada is scrambling, trying to figure out how to open up. And uh, he said most of his pastor friends had laid off their whole staff. And so now they're trying to figure out how to open things up um, without a staff. It's, it's, it's crazy. So uh, pray for our friends in Canada. They're, they've suffered for the last 18 months in a nation where we don't expect Christians to suffer. We don't expect this to happen in places like Canada, right? Maybe in other countries, um, but not, not there. So God expects bold faith, number one. Number two, God expects a holy life. Verse 9 says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. So th those are kind of, thing, those things go together, salvation and holiness. They go together, right? God saved us and called us to live a holy life. It's not two things, it's one thing, really. It's God saved us and called us to live a holy life. So it's not fire insurance when we get saved and we just avoid hell. He's actually called us into a born-again new life experience where we experience holiness. Um, holiness is imputed to us. Uh, he gives us the righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but then our lifestyle moving forward should be reflective of that we should be holy in the way that we live our lives 
For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He created us knowing that he would need to rescue us. (laughs) He created us knowing that he would need to save us, knowing that we would go off the rails and that we would need salvation. And this was all part of his plan before the foundation of the earth the 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 lamb of god was slain before the foundation of the earth so this was like his plan he's he wasn't surprised at the fall he's not surprised when we make mistakes but he has called us he's called us to live a holy life god expect in fact god doesn't just call us but he expects it why because he's given us all the tools to live a holy life he has empowered us with the holy spirit He has filled us with his power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now resides in us as followers and believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that kind of power at our disposal, he actually has expectations that we will take advantage of that, be filled with his power, be renewed in that power, and then out of that power live a holy life. What does it mean to live a holy life? Well, just think about it what is unholy and do the opposite what is unholy right plenty of unholy things all we have to do is open up the scripture i woke up this morning at uh 1 because i couldn't sleep anymore and uh, i knew that i just needed to get up and read the scripture and pray and so i did that and uh, it's amazing what comfort and what clarity comes when we just open up the scripture when we open up the Bible and allow it to instruct us and to teach us, there, it, it teaches us everything about holiness and about what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. God actually expects a holy life. Sometimes we give ourselves permission in areas not to be holy, to be set apart, sanctified for the kingdom and for God's purposes in our life. But God actually expects a holy life. He called his disciples one by one. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He's, it, it's, it's all about life transformation. In John 3, he's talking about being born again. Uh, it's new life in Jesus that he has called us to. So where in our lives are we not living a holy life, a born-again life, a new life? Where in our lives is God challenging us to live holy? He is saved us and called us they're synonymous they go together he's saved us for a holy life for a life of service to him and that's why he expects bold faith that's why he expects a holy life he's called us to a new life in him when he called the disciples they were leaving their old life as fishermen and they were called to become fishers of men bold faith holiness set up set apart for the the kingdom work that god had called them to every one of us have a kingdom work that god has called us to we've all been given spiritual gifts at least one a spiritual gift or a multitude of spiritual gifts that are meant to be used for the kingdom that god has called us into that he has adopted us into he has saved us out of the world so we're in the world but we're not of the world he has called us he's he's lifted our feet out of the miry clay and set our feet on solid foundation a solid rock a, a life of bold faith and a life of holiness this is what he expects from us and it's not it's not like optional like you know i'm going to save you and then you've got the option of a b and c 
unholy life, holy life, something in between, I don't know. He's not given us the option. He has saved us and called us to live a holy life. Verse 10 says, And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way of life, the, illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And so breaks the power of death. As I did the memorial service uh, for my friend Josh Zeman, I said, Josh, because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is actually more alive now than he's ever been before. He lived in this life, dealing with all of the struggles of life, um, trying to be bold in his faith, trying to live a holy life, and the Lord took him through some just un, un, unnecessary circumstances, but now he's alive, now more alive now than ever. He has made all of his plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. So there's a way to life that God is trying to get through to us in our day-to-day -day life. What is the day, what is the way to life? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus, what is that way, that truth, that life that God is calling us into? Those are questions that we need to be constantly asking ourselves. First, uh, number three, what does God expect? God expects faithfulness. So there's a life of faith, but then there's faithfulness whereby we live our lives with faithfulness. Paul was faithful to his calling. Paul was faithful to his calling. Will that be said of us? Verse 11 says, And God chose me to be a preacher an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. God chose me. Paul was faithful to his calling as a preacher, an apostle, and as a teacher. Those were his gifts, his calling, his responsibility, his opportunity in the, in the earth to point people to Jesus. What is your calling what are, what are you called to be faithful to as a follower of the lord jesus christ so you get sa saved by grace through faith you get filled with the holy spirit you get a spiritual gift given to you to be used for the building up of the body of christ for the edification of the church you get spiritual gifts given to you for the purpose of pointing people to jesus and encouraging the body of christ so how are you and how am i doing in this area how are we doing in this area i was challenged this morning as i was praying because i was thinking about our space over here and um you know how it's going to give us the opportunity to to grow and that sort of thing and i Felt like the Lord asked me, "What's your motivation?" I said, "Ouch, that kind of—that's kind of an interesting question." I said, "I don't know. Um, I mean, other than I want the church to grow, and I want our impact to grow, and I want people to um, have more of an opportunity to come to faith in Christ. And if we can do something to facilitate that, then that's what I want to be a part of." And I felt like the Lord said, be careful that your motivation isn't about just church growth. Make sure your motivation is kingdom expansion. Amen. I said, okay, I can do that. By your grace, I can do that. 
if my motivation is just about church growth, then I feel the pressure to make something happen. But if my motivation is kingdom expansion, then I'm leaning on God to do what he wants to do, making this thing uh, a success and expanding it the way that he wants to expand it. Just a subtle little shift, but I wonder where we need to check our motivation in our own lives for the use of our spiritual gifts uh, or not using our spiritual gifts. I think sometimes we don't use our spiritual gifts because uh, we're going to be embarrassed. Our motivation is, uh, our lack of motivation is um, embarrassment or feeling um, unready or just a pure lack of desire because our desire is not, our, our, our core desire, our motivation is not the expansion, um, but it's maybe self-preservation or protection or whatever it may be. Just check your motivation. But God does expect faithfulness all along the way. Paul was faithful even when things were difficult. And that's really where the rubber meets the road, right? I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road. Will we be faithful when things get difficult? And things always got difficult for the Apostle Paul. Let me read verse 11 again and then verse 12. It says, And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. Verse 12, that is why I am suffering here in prison. But I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. Right? He's, he's about the expansion of the kingdom. Right? He's not about himself and the expansion of his ministry. So when he's stuck in prison, what does he continue to do? He continues the ministry by writing letters. <laughs> he continues to do what he can do by writing letters to church leaders and churches, encouraging them to be faithful to continue to press in and press on. He's suffering because of the gospel, the good news that he's proclaimed through his preaching, apostleship, and teaching. But I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. So God can protect the work that Paul had, had been faithful to accomplish Paul was all about God and all about Jesus. He was all about, hey, this is God's kingdom work. It's for him. So if I'm in prison, God can guard that and protect that. I'm not ashamed that I'm in prison because I'm not about me. It's not about my life. It's about my life pointing people to Jesus. And so his motivation was pure and that he wanted the kingdom to expand, not his ministry uh, for his own sake to expand. John the baptizer said i must what did, what did he say i must decrease and jesus must increase right so that must be our motivation needs to be our motivation that we would decrease so that we can point people to jesus this has been helpful for me uh, just regarding the project it would be you know be so much easier just to not take on projects like that right because you know, you can cruise along and, you know, we've got a nice facility here and it'd just be easy just to kind of cruise along doing what we're doing. But when God says, do something that requires faith, it's, it's you know, there's, there's sleepless nights. <laughs> You're wondering, you know, I'm kind of, I guess I'm not worried about the money about it, but I am worried about the money. Where's it going to come? I, that's the main thing. Lord, what are you going to do to provide for all of this? That's kind of the deal because it's always a faith walk when we do anything like this. Um, it would be easier, it would have been easier for Paul not to get himself in trouble with the Jews, right? It would have been easier than just, you know, kind of 
fly below the radar and not get himself imprisoned or shipwrecked or snake bit. I mean, the enemy was always after him and circumstances uh, were always against him. It's, it's, it would be easier, and maybe that's um, the temptation as Western Christians, it's easier to kind of fly below the radar and not draw any attention to ourselves, but are we really, are we really being salt and light when we're not drawing attention to ourselves? What's, what's our motivation? Are we afeared, af- afraid or fearful of things, or is our motivation to see the kingdom expanded one person at a time? I don't know. We just need to think about that stuff. That's why I'm suffering here in prison, but I'm not ashamed of it. Paul was faithful to encourage others with truth while he was sitting in prison. Maybe you're in a uh, a situation that's limiting uh, you in some way. Um, Maybe through physical ailments or just financial circumstances or relational circumstances. Or maybe you're in a circumstance where you feel limited. It's in those moments you just say, Lord, what, what do I do in this situation? You know, Paul could have said, hey, I'm just going to write it out in prison under house arrest and put my feet up and do some reading and that sort of thing and just kind of take it easy. But he felt, I'm sure, compelled to do what he did, to pen two-thirds of the, New Test- uh, of the scriptures for us, and he, to write two-thirds of the New Testament so that we might have something, uh, so the, the church then in the first century and throughout these last 20 centuries might have something to encourage us. Um, what is it that God wants to do in your maybe new season of life? Maybe you're retired, maybe you're entering a new job, maybe you're, entering, maybe you're new, new to this town and um, you feel limited because you don't know people or you don't have, I don't know, I don't know. It could be a thousand different things. Paul was faithful to encourage others with truth, to proclaim the gospel, to do what he did even when in prison. And so then he said in verse 13, this is Paul again encouraging Timothy, young pastor, and then also encouraging us as the church, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard, we talked about this a couple weeks about guarding, guarding what God has done, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. That's kind of a heavy burden, isn't it? A heavy responsibility that we've, been, we've had truth entrusted to us. Truth is only entrusted to us. It's, it's it phrased that way because it's been entrusted to us so that we might move it forward, proclaim that truth to others. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me, even Figlius and Hermogenes. So Paul is in prison, but he's also being abandoned by his friends and co-laborers in the faith, and yet he continues. He continues to move forward. May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all of his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. Isn't that what we're all living for? The day of Christ's return. Paul's perspective was not the earth, the here and now so much as it was the kingdom and the kingdom expanding. So he could sit in jail and suffer um, all kinds of injustice, but it was okay with him because he knew at 
the return of Christ, God would make everything good and he would uh, re receive the, 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 the rewards for his labor. His, king, his life was about the kingdom. His life was about the kingdom. What, what is our life? And even as a church, what are we about? Are we about just kind of having church for a small group? Even though our group num our numbers have grown and we've used the loft and the patio to expand, or do we want to see the kingdom expand and get on board with that kingdom expansion? I because we can cruise along as individuals or as a corporate church and and fly below the radar and never really experience the kingdom impact that God has called us to to experience. May the Lord show Himself. And show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And, and you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. So he was all, Paul was all about the kingdom expansion. He was faithful. He was faithful in his calling no matter what. And uh, we're going to actually stand before the Lord and give an account for our lives. Um, were you faithful? Were you holy? Were you bold? And we'll give an account for our lives, not into salvation, but for rewards and so i just want us to be equipped through the word of god through the challenge of the word of god because all i'm doing is trying to communicate what paul was trying to communicate to timothy and challenge us with that truth and so with that we're going to worship some more and i'm going to invite the worship team up and and um and let's just let the lord minister to us and challenge us where we need to be challenged and minister to us where we need to be ministered to amen thanks team how do you guys all fit in that room back there? They just keep, they just keep coming out of there. <laughs> Is there any? <laughs> Must be a huge room back there. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it instructs us. Thank you that it, it uh, tells us what we need, helps us to see what's wrong with our faith, and points us in the, wrong, in the right direction, Lord. So thank you, Lord. Um, Pray that uh, this Independence Day, this day of liberty, Lord, that we would find liberty in you and joy in you. And pray if there's somebody here, that uh, if there are people here listening that need liberty from bondage that's keeping them from living a holy life, I pray that you would set them free in Jesus' name. Talked to a guy recently who's got nine years sober. Talk to another guy who's got almost two years clean. Clean uh, and sober um, because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. People living holy lives. People wanting to honor you with their lives. Others who have rebuilt marriages after lots of unholiness. And... Um, living the fruit of that decision to be holy in Jesus and watching families be reconciled and marriages be reconciled and lives be reconciled. There's such, there's such joy and peace through a life of uh, bold faith and holiness and faithfulness. And so, Lord, help us to walk that path, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. Stand as we continue to worship.
thank you, Lord, that you are always faithful. Thank you that we have freedom through, your, through the blood of Jesus Christ. This morning, Lord, we just rejoice in that. We love you, Lord. Thank you for bringing us all together. Uh, let us go in peace. And, um, and uh, also just thank you for the place we get to live, Lord. Thank you for this country. Thank you for the values on which it was founded on, God. And I just ask you to help us celebrate that well today. In Jesus' name, amen.